the right idea at the right time. The miracles of logistics every day. I just challenged all of their rules. Technology is revolutionizing this industry. Changed our lives. Close your eyes for a second. New York, Hong Kong, Paris. We're more connected. You just never know where the next innovation will come from. Rules are beginning to change. This is Longitudes Radio, a podcast with today's leading experts about the future of technology, global trade, sustainability, and logistics. From Atlanta, I'm Brian Hughes. And I'm James Rowe. So, Brian, uh, guess who our guest is today? I don't see anyone, yeah. so like, I don't know. Yeah, we the, the chairs are empty here and the phone line is dead. Um, As but, everyone immediately clicks off the podcast. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. Um, no, actually, we've got a special guest who comes from uh, overseas. Uh, we were able to do a, an interview overseas with uh, Professor Ian Golden from uh, Oxford University. Tell me more. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he just speaks a lot about the future and where the world is heading. And, and many of you listeners have probably read his books. Um, he's got 20 of them out there. And most recently, he's got a book called Age of Discovery, Navigating the Risks and Rewards of Our New Renaissance. A new renaissance. A new renaissance. And, and so, I mean, you know, just to set the stage here, I think we need to really look at how people are looking at the future right now. People are concerned. Some are worried, maybe even scared yeah. about where things are going. Anytime there's change, there's some people who would see this as an opportunity. I think it's fair to say we at UPS see that as an opportunity. But yeah, change can be a scary thing, especially now when it's happening faster than ever before. So the question is, how do we go about this change while making sure the benefits are spread to as many people as possible, right? Right. Yeah, you, you want to make sure that you have a lot of winners in that process. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that Ian is an ardent defender of globalism, as we are in this concept of free trade. But what he is arguing for is an inclusive form of globalism in which we don't leave people behind. Right. And so, you know, the, the premise here is that we can look back at the first Renaissance and we can learn things. We can see how this will play out because as he advocates we're headed into a second renaissance. And that raises many questions. Yeah, a phrase he actually uses too is he says we're at a crossroads, that we can either get this right or get it wrong, but it's going to happen soon. So we all need to get on the same page and make sure we're heading in the right direction. So let's take a look at those crossroads. Let's head in that direction now. Professor Ian Golding, welcome to this morning's podcast with UPS. And thank you for taking the time to speak with us today about your new book, Age of Discovery navigating the risks and rewards of our new renaissance. Um, in your latest book, Age of Discovery, you write that there are parallels, for better and worse, between our current era and the European renaissance of 500 years ago. In fact, you argue that we should call this the second renaissance. How so? What are the parallels? Well, thank you for interviewing me. I believe we live in a most extraordinary time, a time of Age of Discovery, real revelations on what is happening in the world. And this new period of interconnectivity is very much like that which we celebrate from 500 years ago of the first Renaissance. There are many similarities. That was driven by an information revolution, then the Gutenberg Press, today the World Wide Web, and ideas traveling more rapidly. So that led to leapfrogging 
in the number of people that could read and write, that were engaged, uh, and that, of course, is an echo today with the number of people that have learned things from the Internet. Another key similarity is that that period was a period of globalization, of rapid scientific advance, voyages of discovery, circumnavigation of the world, discovering we went around the sun, not the sun around us, and we're in a period of very rapid globalization today. In that period, like our period today, it brought immense benefits and very, very rapid increases in knowledge, and that transformed Europe from being one of the most backward places in the planet in 1450 to by far the most advanced within a 60-year period. And we're seeing that today, the most rapid progress the world has ever known on multiple dimensions, income, poverty reduction, life expectancy, etc. But not only should we learn from the good sides of the Renaissance, we need to learn from the terrible downside risks as well. The Renaissance ended in tears. It ended in the bonfire of the vanities, the anti-expert movement, religious wars, jihadists taking over from the Medicis in Florence, the voyage of discovery that went to the New World spreading diseases which killed most Native Americans. So the systemic risks associated with globalization, the inability of societies to cope with the pace of change and the inequalities associated with that, I believe, have an echo today. And what we're seeing in this period of globalization is that while the walls have gone down between societies, within societies they're going up, inequality is rising in all rapidly globalizing societies. And as in that period, globalization and integration is also spreading risk. We see pandemics, we see cyber attacks, we see the cascading financial crisis as examples of this. And so we need to be much better at managing risk. And finally, as in that period, we see extremism growing. We see that people get left behind more quickly when change happens more rapidly. And we need to worry more about that. We need to worry about those that feel that globalization is not working for them. And although it's worked for the majority of the world's inhabitants, there are very significant groups left out. And the world is not flatter. It's more mountainous. So how you allow people to move to the dynamic cities, whether they can afford the rents, whether you allow people to participate in globalization by giving them a means to participate becomes more and more important. So Asia Discovery points to incredible optimism of this period. We associate with the Renaissance with a wonderful time, but also tells us that we need to navigate this and be aware of the dangers. You write that there are three important lessons that we should take away from the European Renaissance. What are they? The first lesson we should take away is optimism in change. It brings incredible things and changes the way we understand the world. We need to throw away some of our old certainties and be prepared for change. The second is that we need to worry about those left behind in this change because if we don't, they will stop the change happening. And the third is that we need to be more flexible in our attitudes. The world changes more rapidly. Everything changes more rapidly. We need to be prepared to embrace this change. This also means more diversity. We need to accept that the changes will come from more and more places, and we need to be more accepting of diverse ideas 
and diverse people. Uh, you talk about how individuals and societies need to take more risks. If we prom promote risk, is there a role for governments to play? Yes. Uh, we need to uh, do risk management, and we need to ensure that people that are prepared to take risks, for example, by changing jobs, for example, by moving cities, uh, by learning new skills, that there's a safety net. Uh, in these periods of more rapid change, and we're in one of those periods, people can fall back more quickly, and if the risks that you take can fail. And so having a society which that doesn't scandalize failure. And we can compare, for example, the U.S. to Europe in this respect. Going bankrupt in the U.S. is not the same as going bankrupt in Europe in terms of the social stigma associated with it. Um, but also the safety net. If you lose your job, do you starve? Do you get kicked out of your home? Those sorts of questions become more and more important. We should expect many more jobs in the future, much more churn, in societies, and with that churn, uh, we need to also accept that there needs to be a stronger safety net. So what happens next? Uh, you, can you forecast how the current trend of backlash and global unrest play out over the next five to ten years? What does the world look like in 2027? I think we're at a crossroads, that this is a period of the most extraordinary opportunity, but also the most extraordinary risk the world has ever known. And so one can paint a, a picture if we take certain paths of extraordinary progress you know on climate change we could be moving to much cheaper uh, clean energy uh, on pandemics we could be moving to stopping pandemics on cyber there's all sorts of potential for stopping cyber attacks and we could imagine a world free of poverty uh, even in 10 20 years time free of many of the diseases we know including the major breakthroughs in cancer and many others but it's also one can imagine a whole series of catastrophes uh, arising because of countries withdrawing and failing to cooperate, because of tensions rising, whether they're in Asia, uh, with North Korea, uh, or elsewhere. Um, and so my, my only certainty about the next five, ten years is that we are likely to see more surprises. Now, the politics is absolutely central to this, and the question is, do we go through a period of rising extremism or not? What I think Macron, President Macron, has shown in France is something very dramatic, which it's not only the right or the left that can basically challenge globalization and the existing model. It's also the center. And what Macron has done without a political party, without any of the mainstream media behind it, but using new media and the new same technologies that Trump used uh, or that others used to get into power. Corbyn used in challenging in the UK. Macron has shown that you can be pro-globalized and pro-Europe and have a massive surge of support. And I think this is what's so interesting, is that it's all up for grabs. Uh, and it's not only up for grabs by the right and the left. It's also possible for pro-globalists to make the case using the new technology. So I'm optimistic that, what, that Macron has shown a new way uh, of this and that we, what we'll be seeing is that sort of disintermediation happening across the spectrum but also in a way that recognizes that we need each other more than ever. 500 years ago, we, or 500 years on, we still celebrate the, you know, the Renaissance men, Michelangelo, Moore, Da Vinci. In 500 years' time, who do you think we'll be remembering? 
<laughs> That's a tough question. Our hope um, in writing uh, Age of Discovery is that we'll be remembering the people that took the right decisions now, that we'll be remembering those that saw that we had a crossroads uh, and were able to embrace this period of change uh, in a way that leads to flourishing and continuation of the flourishing and, and slaying the dragons <laughs> that we have, the Goliaths that we see ahead of us. So I think it, we're too close to history to be able to say that. I certainly would put uh, the person I worked closest with, Nelson Mandela, in that league because he transformed South Africa from being really, I think, down the road of ruin and war and bloodshed to peace and reconciliation, and there'll be a number of others. Uh, but my hope is that we will be celebrating many people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.